This is The Legal Impact, the weekly show presented by the University of New Hampshire Franklin Pierce School of Law. Now accepting applications for JED and graduate programs. Learn more and apply at law.unh.edu. Opinions discussed are solely the opinion of the faculty or host and do not constitute legal advice or necessarily represent the official views of the University of New Hampshire and UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law. Attorney and adjunct professor Amy Connolly is this week's guest. Attorney Connolly is the owner and managing partner for Connolly Law, a boutique marital law firm located in Exeter, New Hampshire. Her firm specializes in complex matrimonial litigation and provides mediation services. She's also a graduate of UNH Franklin Pierce from the year of 2006. Thank you so much for joining me this week. You're welcome. Good afternoon, AJ. So we're going to dive into a uh, recent article uh, today that was released by all the regional public radio stations, but <laughs> NHPR is where I happen to catch it. Uh, but before we dive into that specifically, when people say family law, what does that mean to people that aren't in that industry? Sure. So a family lawyer will practice um, many different in many different parts. So typically it will be divorces. Uh, oftentimes it will be what, what lay people normally refer to as custody in the legal um, arena. We refer to it as residential schedules and parenting time. Um, it also refers to child support, alimony. Um, sometimes it can deal with any post-decree or post-divorce issues if the parties are disagreeing on um, parenting time or they want a revision of their child support. That's typically what family law entails. And I'm assuming mediation is very important if you have any way of going through that instead of through the courts. Yes, that, that's a great point. So typically, uh, well, except in cases of domestic violence, the court will order mediation for all parties in any divorce or parenting disputes. And in the mediation process, a third party trained mediator will act as a neutral facilitator to try to help the parties reach areas of compromise on disputed issues. So it makes it to the point where the judge doesn't necessarily need to make a decision on, you're going to do this. In theory, they come to a decision as a group. That's correct. So in every mediation, the parties have control over the outcome of their cases, as opposed to allowing a judge who's a stranger uh, make decisions regarding very personal financial issues within a family, parenting time within a family, um, it's always better for the parties to reach those agreements by themselves if possible, because the alternative is presenting it to a judge in a you know sometimes one, sometimes two day trial and allowing that person to make all of these decisions that are going to affect your financial future and the future of your children. So the courts and attorneys always try to have the parties work it out if possible through a mediation or collaborative process. How often does the health care of the child in question end up being a point of contention between divorced parents or separating parents? So health care is usually a joint decision that is made by both parents. And by joint decision, I mean that the court would require that both parties agree prior to any major medical procedure um, or, or many, any major medical decision related to the child's health and welfare. Uh, health care um, usually is disputed on issues such as uh, elective surgeries, such as a tonsillectomy, whether a child would be vaccinated against COVID or other, other vaccinations that are available, um, dentist, uh, orthodontia sometimes. So it, it doesn't come up too often. Usually the parents are on the same page related to health care, but when it does come up, it is often pretty hard for the parties 
to reach an agreement because they're usually very uh, firmly believe one side or the other and to change, uh, to reach an agreement in those cases is difficult. And this basically brings us to the article in question. You were quoted in this article that was called The Complicated Path for New Hampshire Co-Parents Who Disagree on the COVID Vaccine. I'll put that a link to the article in the episode description, which is available at law.unh.edu slash podcast. And it was about the a contentious situation between two parents and disagreements on two parents that are divorced and what to do with vaccinations for their children. Right. And so this is obviously a newer area of uh, contention between the parents because the COVID vaccination for ages five through 11 was just recently approved. Um, I will say that New Hampshire Supreme Court precedent has held for um, since the 1930s that a parent, uh, a school can require a child to become vaccinated and that is, or, or be vaccinated. And that's not a violation of a parent's constitutional rights. And so the issue of children being vaccinated has not come up too often because the vaccinations that are required by the school, um, if, the, if the child doesn't get vaccinated and does not have a religious exemption, the alternative is like the child can't attend school. And so parties, parents usually are not um, going to argue too much about that because they want the child to attend school. Uh, with the COVID vaccine, however, the statute in New Hampshire does not uh, allow schools to mandate a COVID vaccination. And so it really is right up to the parents to decide. And it's not just it's not just parents who are separated or divorced or um, you know, co-parents, it's parents that are married too that are having these disputes. So if this isn't a an a an issue that is totally on um, parents who are separated. It's in with married couples as well. From a legal perspective, is there a difference? Yes. So, in from a legal perspective, if a married couple is disagreeing on a vaccination, they can't go and ask the court for relief or answer on it. Oh um, wow! <laughs> so, right. And so, if you if you want to ask a court to have relief, you need to be able to bring a petition in the court. And typically that is if the parties are in the event that they were never married, um, they are able to bring that in the form of a parenting petition. And if the parties are married, they can bring a parenting petition. And But it usually has to be accompanied by a divorce petition or a petition for legal separation. And imagine the nature of the COVID vaccine in addition to the the school aspect of it is considerably more complex because of the just how out of nowhere basically it's come. So we, we talk about when it comes to the legal perspective, a lot of stuff takes place over decades and eventually laws develop and we're in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, and how is that being perceived by the court system or other attorneys in your field? Well, I mean, the, the pandemic has been a disaster for a number of people, right? For, for pretty much everybody, especially kids. And what, what has been, what I've seen having the most impact, the most phone calls I'm getting from, from clients, I'll say is um, at the beginning was on remote learning versus, you know, staying, um, staying at home versus attending school or whether the party has, the kid, the child has to wear a mask if they're with one parent half the time that says they don't need a mask and the other half of the time, you know, they're with a parent that says does need a mask or someone's more conservative than the other parent. And so in general, COVID has caused a lot of havoc on co-parenting relationships. 
Um, this is even prior to the vaccination. And now that the vaccine has been approved, it's um, it's only exempt. It's only made things worse, I think. Uh, you know, the, the vaccine was also approved, as you know, for 12 and up for a while. And I have, have not had too many phone calls or requests um, for court intervention in those cases. And I think it's because the children are older in those cases. So they are, you know, for the most part, considered mature minors around the age of 14, depending on certain circumstances. But that's the general unspoken rule. And so if a 14-year-old is saying to the judge, I want to be vaccinated, I believe that the court is going to really listen to that that child. Are there implications to something like that happening when it comes to other sorts of healthcare-related um, aspects? So when you say implications, what do you mean? So, I mean, if you take it to expand for uh, elective surgery or a big thing that's been in the news, of course, has been... Um, uh, hormone therapies and such when it comes to the transgender uh, situation. I mean, is this going to set a precedent that could um, impact those sorts of things too? I think that every case, the court is going to look at it as a case-by-case a case basis. And I've been in court before where I've had judges tell me they don't look at precedent on what they've done in another case to determine how they're going to rule in the case before them. And that's because a judges believe that each family is individual and different and that the facts surrounding every family situation is going to be different. And so what the judge might do in one case with similar facts, they might do something totally different in another case. And it's, and it's for whatever reason the judge felt was uh, reasonable to do so. And so, you know, the fact that, it, and I can, I could see, um, I could foresee that a court, a, a judge might rule two different ways on the vaccine issue. In one case, they might say the yeah. vaccination is appropriate. In the other case, they might say it's not. And it's because it's it's really a case-dependent analysis that the judge is going to, to do. What's that like as an attorney dealing with these cases? I mean, that's I'm, <laughs> usually, with, usually with what I'm dealing with on the podcast is we've got like contracts and we're dealing sure. with criminal cases and such. When it comes to civil matters like this, it's a totally different ballgame. When it comes to family court, it's a different ballgame. I think that, you know, court in general is not the best forum for families at all. I think it, it naturally creates an adversarial process where families, um, especially if they have children, are going to want to co-parent in an amicable way. And if you put them in a litigation process, it's immediately going to, I think, um, it's going to harm any potential co-parenting relationship in the future. As an attorney, it's it's hard because you have to tell your client, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, this is what I think might happen based on my 15 years experience and all of these cases that I've done in front of this particular judge. But you never know. You never know what a judge is going to order. And it's um, it's very hard in, in family court. The judges have a ton of discretion on the evidence before before that person. And so they can um, weigh the evidence before him or her and, and are able to issue orders. And it's very hard to appeal mm -hmm. because it's an unsustainable exercise of discretion um, standard uh, on appeal. So it is, it's very hard as a lawyer because it's, it, 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 you wanna give your clients some certainty and you can't really predict it, which is also another reason that we try to mediate these cases yes. because you never know what's gonna happen if you go to court. Yeah, definitely. I mean, how in the situation of, of COVID vaccine specifically, I mean, mm -hmm. what sort of um, what sort of ways would you mediate something like that? 
So I'm a, re- I'm a mediator and I also, as an attorney, represent my clients at mediations. And if I were to approach this, I would try to, if as a mediator, if I were to approach this, I would try to get down to the reasoning behind the disagreement. So is one person, um, you know, why, why does it one person want the vaccination? Is it because they want to see um, more data on it? Is it because they want to get the opinion of um, a physician? Is it because they just are totally opposed to it. And so I would try to break down and say, what, 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 why are these people disagreeing? You know, and if somebody wants the vaccination, well, why do you want the vaccination? Is Do you think that the child has an underlying medical condition that makes them more susceptible to having COVID really harm them? Is there, you know, and, and as that and after I get the facts, what I can sometimes do is give what's called a neutral evaluation where I would say, you know, if this were before court or if I were to hear this case, I think that the court may order, you know, X. And that's just based on my experience and the and the court that they're in. I think, um, you know, for example, if a child was um, immunocompromised and at risk and there was letters upon letters from pediatricians saying that they should get the vaccination from specialists, I would tell the other side, you know, you can litigate this, but it might you know, given this evidence, if you don't have any evidence to counter it, that I could very easily see a court ordering um, the parent that wants the vaccination to have sole decision making on the issue. Yeah, I imagine the nature of it, it getting basically, it's basically an emergency use authorization uh, right now for any of the children's vaccines. The only one that's even approved for adults is Pfizer, and we're still receiving Johnson & Johnson right. Moderna shots. And that has to be a point of contention, I'd imagine. Yeah, and, and that's a good point because I think there's a difference. I don't, people should understand that the judge is not going to order the child to be vaccinated. That's not going to be the judge's order. The judge is going to order that one parent has sole decision making on the issue of vaccinations. And so it, it's a difference, right? So the judge isn't saying this child has to go and get vaccinated. And if they don't get vaccinated, um, then there's the child's in contempt. What the court will do is say, this parent has the, the the right to decide whether the child gets vaccinated or not. And they do that usually after a hearing and taking in all the evidence related to the case prior to issuing those orders. And obviously that's not what either parent should be trying to get out of something like that, because they, in theory, you want the, there to be some sort of agreement where both sides at least are reasonably comfortable obviously someone's probably going to be uncomfortable right. in the situation especially with this because it's either they got the shot or they didn't get the shot it's not like you're changing oh these couple hours a week are now going to go to this parent or something like that it's like no they're getting vaccinated exactly and it, you can't undo it yeah <laughs> so you can't undo it and i think that's a big difference between you know, this the child's going to do this extracurricular activity or attend this um religious ceremony you know it's this is something that is medical you can't undo it after it's done. And so I think that's where courts are going to be very hesitant um, to try to make those decisions or, and are really going to encourage the parties to make those decisions amongst themselves. I mean, is a viable option for some families in mediation or through the courts to say, just wait a few more months? I mean, do you think that's really viable? I think that unless the parent party goes in or the parent goes in and asks for an emergency hearing, they're going to have to wait a few months because the court systems are overloaded right now and to get a hearing date is extremely difficult and it can take months, if not over a year to get a trial date in, in most wow. of the new major courts. And so that's another issue is, 
it, you know, is this vaccination going to be considered grounds to file an emergency motion? Right. And if that's and, and so the grounds to do so. So in order to go into court and to file an emergency motion, which is called an ex parte motion, the party filing it, the person filing it needs to allege that um, the child is going to suffer irreparable harm or injury if the court doesn't make immediate orders. That's the legal standard. And so if a parent goes in and says, my child is going to suffer immediate harm if they don't get the COVID vaccination, I don't envy that judge's decision. Um, I, I don't I don't envy it because is that is that going to be enough to um, is that going to be enough to uh, warrant an ex parte motion? And if that's the case, the court can be inundated with all these emergency motions that usually need to be ruled on very quickly. Usually that day it, it's, it's ruled on and within a week you'll get a hearing. Um, but if the courts say, no, this isn't an ex parte or an emergency matter, then the parties will be waiting you know, over a year, a month to a year to get a hearing date. Um, I think that the court could continue it out and say, let's wait a couple months. But I feel like once the, once the, once the parties are there and present at the hearing, the court's going to hear the evidence and is going to try to make it, make a ruling because I know the parties have expended a lot of time and usually, usually money uh, for their lawyers to get to that stage. Yeah, it seems this reminds me a lot of the healthcare industry right now where everyone was told to hold off on going to the hospital for various health healthcare needs, whether it's regular visits or it's actually life-saving treatment that they might have needed in the long term. And it's the with the courts, I mean, these are, these are very um, intense situations a lot of times. So the, it must make um, when, when there are sessions in court a lot more intense. They're very intense. Anyway, <laughs> they're very intense. <laughs> anyway, they're very intense when it, when it's a matters of family because this is different than any other area of law because it's so emotional, and part of your job as an attorney as a family lawyer is to is to separate the law and the logic piece of it from the emotional piece of it and to have those hard conversations with your clients because you know the judges the judge is going to apply the law to the facts and I can definitely see a hearing like this being very heated. And then if one person was the one who was awarded sole decision-making on medical and you know chose to get the child vaccinated or not, it's going to cause even more of a strain in the relationship with the other parent. Alum, attorney, adjunct professor, Amy Connolly, thank you so much for joining me on the show um, this week. Where can people uh, learn more about your firm? Oh, so my website is uh, www. Um, familynhlaw.com. Thank you so much for joining You're me. You're welcome. Yeah, take care. Thanks for listening to Legal Impact, presented by UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law. To help start word about the show, please be sure to subscribe and comment on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And be sure to get all the back episodes of the show at law.unh.edu slash podcast. <laughs>